0: Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 68 of the Reds Unrestricted podcast. I'm your host, David Comerford, and today we're going to be looking back on Liverpool's victory over Southampton and the season deciding weekend that's ahead in the Premier League.
1: This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to bigheadsmedia.com for more great podcasts.
0: And to do that, I'm joined, as usual, by Chloe Bloxham and making his third appearance on the podcast. It's Chris Coughlin from BBC Radio Merseyside. Chris, I'll come to you first, um, seeing as you're a guest on the podcast. We'll start with the Southampton game, um, and we'll look back at that before we look forward at what's to come. And I guess the best place to begin with Southampton is the main sort of story pre-game. And we knew, based on what we'd heard from Klopp, that there were going to be changes maybe not that many changes. Um, so what did you make of the team selection? And how did you read it? Was it Klopp saying, I need to prioritise the Champions League here, you know, that's where I have the better chance of silverware? Or was it Klopp merely indicating just how much faith he has in these players, a lot of whom rarely play?
1: Yeah, for, first guys, thanks for having us on again. Um, but yeah, on on the lineup um last night... I didn't expect nine changes. Maybe they expected six or seven, so I think you've hit the nail on the head there. But what I think, um, you know, the reasons behind, of course, playing 120 minutes on Saturday was always going to have a big impact. Um, just feel fatigue, as 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 much as these are elite athletes, they're bound to feel a bit of stiffness after such a competitive and intense game, really, especially 120 minutes. Um when you when you look at it, I think maybe there was a bit of surprise in. I thought maybe Navigator would would get another start after he got taken off early. Uh, I thought maybe as much as as much as Mane did play the 120, he, you know, we, we we like we know him and Salah when available they they like to play. Um, I think we all knew Costa Simicass or had a feeling Costa Simicass was going to come in, but his performances this season have, have shown that he, he's more than worth that. Um, I don't think it was necessarily a lineup that indicated looking towards the Champions League. I think if we hadn't got the results at Southampton, I think you would have perhaps seen that against Wolves more so because if the league title was pretty much out of reach or definitely out of reach, it it would have been crazy to go into Wolves with any sort of thinking of first-teamers or whatever. But I think... Also, it, it, it's about the sign of the squad in general, isn't it? Because it, it's such a better squad than it has been in the past. And when you've looked at potential rotation going in the past, the quality of players to bring in. You know, Minamino hadn't played since the 20th of March. And what a finish that was. So I, think, I, th- I just think it was a sign of the quality that this Liverpool squad possesses now due to the recruitment of, of Klopp and his team.
0: I remember I, I wrote an article uh, a few weeks back um, about players who might not feature, certainly from the start, in any games that we had left. And I think I had, I may have had Gojo, Gojo, I might have had Joe Gomez <laughs> in there. Um, I'm, I might have had Curtis Jones, definitely had Oxlade Chamberlain, obviously didn't play. Um, Harvey Elliott was in there, Arigi and Minamino, who I think have actually pretty much, with the ex- exception of Ox have actually played uh, since then and I think maybe one thing I underestimated at the time when I wrote that was that I think it's 63 games um, mm-hmm. we're going to end up playing over the course of this season yesterday number 61 I think at a certain point you've almost got to have those kind of games where you make sweeping changes and we've had the opportunity to do that in in Champions League matches um, at times but Really, this was the first kind of example of it in the Premier League. Newcastle, to a lesser extent, but certainly in terms of, you know, I had a, a mate of mine who said it's the kind of team you'd expect to see in like the fifth round of the FA Cup, and I thought that was really accurate um, yeah, in terms, of, in terms of selection. Um, but in terms of the performance that was actually put in by that group of players, Chloe, I think it's fair to say that it was really impressive, and and Klopp was pretty much in awe of it, Um to be fair. He, he said in his interview that he was almost overwhelmed um, by the quality of it, which maybe to me says, you know, it, it was it was a surprise even to him to see those players um produce it. So is it the fact that those players are actually better than a lot of our fans and a lot of maybe people outside the club realise, you know, players like Takumi Minamino, for example, or do you think... That kind of performance is more a sign of Klopp's abilities as a coach and the way he can sort of implement his philosophy on not just the first 11, but really the sort of like 23, 25 players throughout the squad.
2: I think it's a mixture of both, isn't it? I mean, you look at those players, uh, they dug deep. They played absolutely brilliant. I couldn't fault a single one of them uh, on yesterday's performance. From from the first, we might struggle the first five, ten minutes. We definitely didn't deserve to be 1-0 down by a, a clear foul, but nice one, Atkinson. Really glad that you're retiring at the end of this season. Um, it feels like every single week we complain about referees not being able to do the job, and that's happened again. Luckily then... Um, we managed to get through it and what I was most happy about was the bounce back from it um, and we've done that in a couple of games Aston Villa another one where we've gone behind quickly um, and and we've bounced back from it and uh, I thought the performance by everyone was absolutely brilliant it was a, a much deserved victory and I, I think Jürgen Klopp obviously he makes these players Better than they are. He makes them absolute superstars. I mean, Minamino scored ten goals and like ten shots on target. I think it is. He's got a goal every ninety-five minutes he's played. You talk about Rodrigo comes up at the summer, You know the biggest moments of Liverpool's history. And he is obviously coming off the bench, but you've got Jota there, um, <laughs> who went again for us. Um, the midfield—I was uh, James Milner. I cannot say enough about James Milner. He is absolutely unbelievable. Um, I was really excited by the midfield. I thought Harvey Elliott was brilliant. Curtis Jones, a lot of people got on his back. I thought he was decent. He he kept hold of the ball a bit too much at times, but he was generally good. Canate, absolute. Unsung hero after playing 120 minutes and, and playing again, Matip, brilliant scores one of the maddest scores I've ever seen. Um, and obviously the fallbacks, Joe Gomez. Sad to see him go off with injury, but I don't think there's a player there I like could say played below a seven out of ten. They were all brilliant, um, and it not just does it show what you know Jurgen Klopp can make these players in sense of how good he can make them. It's also the fact that every single player in this dressing room does not have an ego bigger than the club or bigger than the manager. Everyone works their socks off. Everyone takes their opportunity. And um, I think it's been said before, I think, i sorry to bring United into it, but I think I remember the likes of Gary Neville and, and Roy Keane and that say that they were scared to let down, said Alex Ferguson. And I think you get that with Klopp, I really do. I think every single one of them, is scared to not give it a 100% and come off that pitch and feel like they've let down someone who could be their dad with how you know how influential he is in their li- life. So um, an unbelievable performance, both by obviously the manager and the players. And what you mentioned earlier, I obviously think 120 minutes is is why you changed it because a lot of lads have played a, a lot of, of minutes. But I also thought to myself... What game would I rather make substituting Southampton or Wolves? And I'd say Southampton for the main fact of, I think you could have beat Southampton, which we did, and we comfortably did. We could have had many more goals. Um, we beat them with a the weekend side, where Wolves last game of the season, with the title riding on it, um, you know, it, it's a very, it, it is a tough ask. Wolves are a really good team, so... Um, yeah, I'm. I'm. I'm just buzzing that they've they put in a great performance because a lot of them players that we've mentioned there who have played have been absolute heroes throughout our cup runs.
0: Yeah, Klopp, Klopp mentioned with a lot of those players that he felt like it was a crime um, that they weren't getting more minutes, and it's like um, there's, it's almost like he feels guilty about, about them, and they obviously, you know, like you say, Chloe, there they have that relationship with him where maybe you know they are desperate to, to do it just when he gives them. An opportunity but Chris was there something you wanted wanted to add?
1: Yeah just on on the bounce back bit I I think I think we all kind of relate to this where the impact Jurgen Klopp has had on Liverpool Football Club is that you can make nine changes in a game away from home Nathan Redmond scores that goal and I think we just sat there 13 minutes gone we sit there and go oh that's annoying but it's not the whole, oh, it's such a mountain to climb nowadays and all that kind of thing. Just because you know, no matter who walks out on that pitch for Liverpool, they'll, they'll create chances now. And I think it's an incredible luxury to be able to say that. But it is the impact of the squad. And also, you know, the lads train together every day. And I'm talking the younger players as well. So they're already in tune with the way Klopp wants them to play. And that is such a precious Commodity when you do make that much when you do make that many changes.
0: You see, I I agree with that, and I I think kind of on similar lines that it's extra impressive to put in a performance like that because obviously yes, you know they do train together and they have that familiarity. You know the core of this squad has been together for a long time at this point, but you look at that midfield and and even the front line to an extent and the back four too. They don't play together in a kind of competitive environments, or I mean, I, I'm sure some of those combinations yesterday hadn't been seen, you know, at all. Well, um, I was going
1: to say because Har- Harvey Elliott and James Milner played together for the first started together for the first time. Milner made his Premier League debut. Was it 144 days before Harvey Elliott was born? It's crazy. <laughs> so, <laughs> but yeah. you know, the, the composure just from everyone was was just fantastic. Yeah, as you say, the ones that don't play that regularly as well.
0: And it just makes it more impressive to me because they don't have that um, understanding that you get. You know, you see it so much with, like, the front lines. You know, I think the best example in the whole team is the right-hand side. It's where you have Henderson, Trent and Salah, who, are, who have mostly been in the team. And they have that almost telepathy now with these positional rotations uh, that go on. And, you know, that familiarity that builds up. These other players don't have that. But there was very little evidence that yesterday, you know, the way it clicked was was really impressive. Chloe?
2: Yeah, I think we've spoke about cohesion there in the sense of these players, they've obviously done training drills together, but it's the movement that you need to understand and you can only learn that by being in a game with these other players. You can only learn the runs of someone else by actually you know, finding them on the pitch and trying to do the ball. And what I will say is, when I looked at that front three, the thing that not necessarily worried me, but I thought we missed was pace. And we know our front three have a lot of pace. We rely on a lot of pace. You know, our, our we when Bobby Firmino played, he dropped deep in our wingers, ran in behind, and he'd find them. Or he'd hold the ball up and bring everyone else into play. And yesterday, it's shown that we can win. We don't have to go with route one. We can win with different players with a different style of football, but be near perfect in every aspect. And also still show the, you know, identity of what Jurgen Klopp has gave us
0: and i think identity is a brilliant point because you know you look at the stats from yesterday 24 shots to four um n- 0.11 expected goals against 72% possession and on top of that you've got southampton fans i don't know if you heard you know there's a few of them even booing the players the the anger was definitely audible um and I thought until the last few minutes as well, the actual game management and you know keeping possession was far better than it was against Aston Villa last week. And really, you could have that, that could easily have been a performance from the First Series Liverpool eleven. You know, I think if they'd put that performance in, you'd be praising them. And, you know, we're talking about a team with I think it was nine changes, wasn't it? Um and difficult to pick a man of the match within it, but not so much like Aston Villa last week, where everyone was kind of in um sort of win at all costs mode and there wasn't really a standout. I think this week it was it's hard to pick a man of the match because everyone was, you know, I think you said Chloe, everyone was um at least a seven out of ten, and there were definitely quite a lot of eights or more in there. But obviously the consequence of that result is that the title race goes to the last day. And thankfully it goes to the last day with a pretty simple and not all too impossible scenario. Liverpool don't need a crazy goal, difference swing. Uh, they just need uh, Man City to drop points, as they just. Um, we'll come on to that in a second. But to sort of look at the bigger picture, of the title race and how it's evolved, Chris, you know, we saw in, in January, uh, games hand were a factor, but Liverpool were at one point, 14 points behind. And like it or not, Man City fans, if Liverpool do win the league, that is going to be the figure that people remember. That's just the way it goes. But how has it turned round? Because it looked at that point of the season, that City were going to walk to title, that Liverpool would probably be competing for second with Chelsea. Do you see a specific reason for the gap narrowing so much and it going all the way to the wire? Or do you think it's just maybe just a combination of circumstances, Liverpool um, entering this you know, unbelievable run of form and, and City maybe taking the eye off the boil?
1: That, that's a really good question. Um, because certainly after the defeat at Leicester, I think you'd have been a very brave person to call this scenario. Um that was a run of Liverpool taking two points out of three games wasn't it with the, with the draws at Spurs and Chelsea as well. Especially when you drop, you know, you concede a two-goal lead at Chelsea. But then getting through AFCON pretty much unscathed was a very big thing because with Mane and Salah going um I don't think it would have been you. Know, anyone that felt Liverpool might have fallen away, I don't think they would have been completely unfounded by that opinion. But that's when you remember we mentioned Oxley Chamberlain and Klopp said he was good they didn't come on last night, but he chipped in with a few crucial contributions in January. Minamino um, as well, um, and it it is strange just because I I am trying to think of of one thing maybe to put my finger on, but there has just been. A, a monstrous mentality and it is what this Liverpool squad have been branded as, rightly so, in my opinion, because there's been so many circumstances where in the past they might have you know not reacted in the same way in, in Liverpool squad's gone by, um, certainly before Jurgen Klopp. And it it, it it's actually quite tough. I'm i because you know, even just going through the games in February, um even in the different competitions, you know, after the nil-nil draw against Arsenal, it would have been so easy to think the, you know, the, the tie at the Emirates, the second leg, was going to be tough in the Carabao Cup and it was a very straightforward win in the end. Um, the the rotation of the Nottingham Forest game in the FA Cup and Forest created opportunities, but again, it was rotation and the, the squad really stood up. Um, so, if if I, if I wanted to put my me, me finger on one thing in particular, it would have to be the mentality because, I almost think when it got to that fourteen points, they almost thought, We've got nothing to lose here. When a because, you know, in the a way we've been in the similar kind of scenario. I remember um two thousand and eight, nine, when we had a sizable lead over United, and then the January and February form just completely ripped us apart in terms of um obviously not getting over the line. Um and even with the games in hand, I, yeah, I do think there was a case of, for some members of the squad and maybe for Klopp himself, it was a case of, we've got nothing to lose here, the pressure's all on City, they're runaway leaders, they've got to look to secure it, and they've been dragged back in. Um, and it, you know, Whatever whatever happens on the final day, it has been a magnificent effort from Liverpool to get it back to this scenario.
0: It has, and I think the nothing to lose thing is is the key point in my eyes, Um and I think it, it goes back to something Klopp said recently about the uh chelsea game the two all obviously liverpool leading two nil um and end up getting pegged back and drawing and when he was asked the question in the press conference actually i was quite surprised that he did almost pick out a, a definite turning point but i think he said at that point that it was just like the, the pressure kind of leaves you at that stage and it's just like well was, we're not out of it you know the odds are against us i think that that might have helped in terms of, I don't know, just freeing Liverpool up a little bit and uh, the run that they've they've been on since then. Um, whether there was some kind of mental reset at that point, I mean, you look through the fixtures. Obviously, there was the Arsenal game that you mentioned. Um, you know, the Inter second leg, uh, which we lost, but it didn't matter in the end. And. Um, you know just going through them benfica that was a draw in the second leg and Villarreal' performance wasn't good end up winning that game and i think that's pretty much it for actually games that we've drawn or lost and that's from the 2nd of january until the very last week of the premier league season now um and i think another thing we should say is you know you talk about squad depth and we've spoken about this at length before so we don't really need to get into it now uh, but it needs acknowledging it is Luis Diaz and that one sign and and how much of a difference it's made in terms of sort of elevating the level of the of the, the depth of the squad really and given the I rotation possibilities.
1: Because I've been on, yeah, since, on, I've I've been on since we've signed him. I love that lad. <laughs> yeah, and he and, and do you know so what? Brilliant.
0: Do you know what? I actually think there's a case to be made with Diaz that I don't know he doesn't have the goal contribution numbers to necessarily support this, you know, they're decent, they're not spectacular. I think he's actually arguably been the best performing attacker that we've had in terms of the actual you know, you look at it and say how well has he played in specific games yeah, like his performance individually, you know, even at the weekend against Chelsea I just look at it and think you know, Mane's had brilliant numbers, but is is any of the attackers actually playing better? Like, is there any of them who are Causing defenders that many problems, I, I don't think so. So I think, I think if we had to pick out the reasons for this change and, and kind of put the narratives together, it would be the sort of the, the shift after Chelsea and the mentality, plus the signing of Diaz, and, and those have been particularly powerful. So now we find ourselves in a situation uh, where we need um, City to drop points on the final day against Aston Villa, who when we're recording a 14th in the table. Uh, so, unlikely, not impossible. Let's think about the sort of... I guess the emotional side of it, first of all. Um, and I'll, I'll bring you in, Chloe. This is Steven Gerrard, who never managed to win the Premier League with Liverpool, had some, obviously, heartbreaking moments when he was going for it. If Gerrard was able to mastermind something or or pull the results out the bag here um, and it proved to be the difference. Do you think, you know, given that he is one of the best sort of English players ever and he's a huge figure within the game, do you think that makes it kind of the most poetic ending to a season really in Premier League history?
2: Um, I mean, I guess so, but it also means that Throughout this entire season, Steven Gerrard has done everything to make sure it doesn't look like he cares about Liverpool Football Club. And I mean, and everything, literally everything. Um, he, I think for some reason, in my mind, he's more likely to go absolutely full throttle against Burnley and do something. And then the last day of the season, just not half arse it, but like, I think for me... We don't win the league because they don't drop points. Uh, They don't make City drop points. Then I don't think he's going to, in his post match press conferences and everything, sit there and be like, oh, I'm gutted. I think he'll just be like, look, we play for Aston Villa. I'm the manager of Aston Villa. I do what I can with Aston Villa. The other things outside my job are just, you know, I can't focus on them. I can't take those into consideration. And I think he will be thinking of, You know, that potential, you know, moment where he could do that for us. But at the end of the day, it's it's one game out the entire season. Them... Beaten um, Man City is not where the title should be won or lost. It is where we were 2 0 up against Brighton at home and we've lost it in 45 minutes in that second half. Those are the games that Tottenham Hotspur, when, you know, Harry Kane should have got a red card, we should have got a penalty. There's them. The Everton one where Man City handballed it, didn't get given. There's finer moments and margins within the season which could have cost us and which might cost us this season. Um And I don't think Steven Gerrard is... I think he'll care, but I don't think it's his first thought about Liverpool football club. He's professional enough to think, I only care about Aston Villa. I want the win. But we know there's a massive goal for you. Um, I think the other aspect is, if he gets too emotional, it could wreck absolutely everything. Um, and I say this because, since we won yesterday... I've woke up with excitement, I've been absolutely excited for Sunday, which can only mean one thing, and that one thing is City are going to win 3-0 against Aston Villa and we're all just going to look a bit stupid. But it's the hope that kills you. Um, And I hope Steven Gerrard can do something for himself, but also because I want my team to win the the, uh, Premier League. And to be honest, I wouldn't say that Steven Gerrard's the hero in this moment. I'd say the, the players on the pitch are the heroes because... Of what they've done this season, um, it's just he's done us a favour in one game this season.
0: I think it's interesting what you say there because I I agree with the aspect of Gerard's been really keen to emphasise that he's not thinking that's all about Liverpool at least at least publicly. And I think the quote that really made that hit home for me was when he said, kind of unprompted, that he'd enjoy a repeat of the of the seven two uh, if Villa got it, and you know. Obviously you can understand where he's coming from there. I mean, and that would be an incredible achievement in, in his career. But it's like, does he need to say that? Does he need to say he wants Liverpool to get battered? Does he want Liverpool to get battered? That those are the kind of things that I'm wondering. And I, I look at Steven Gerard as kind of second only to Kenny Dalglish in terms of iconic like playing figures at this club Dalglish, with Edge, because you know, he's done it as a, ma- as a manager too. And then you know you've got the likes of Ian Rush, Bill Shankly, etc., But he's certainly up there at the top. And I think, you know, you say, Chloe, there, that it's maybe not going to be something that is going to be preoccupying him and it's not all going to be about Liverpool in his head. I don't know. Like, it could it could genuinely be either way with it. Um, but what, what I wanted to ask you, Chris, and kind of follow on from that, um, a two-part question, really. First of all, how much belief do you actually have um, that Gerard could do something. Second of all, how does Gerard approach this with his squad? Because there's no way the Villa squad will be able to insulate themselves from all these narratives that are going on outside. Is it something that Gerrard addresses almost when he's speaking to his players and he's like, this isn't about me, this is about you? Does he... Will he, do you think, have a different approach to this game because it might mean more to him personally? Or will he be sensitive about... The Villa players think it's themselves, hang on. Is he he 100% focused on Aston Villa here?
1: So part one, um, I tweeted last night saying about, oh, we're going to the final day. And then one of my mates replied to me, um, you know, saying how nervous he was. And then I said about looking forward to Sunday, and I said, uh, it'll be uh, exciting until Jesus scores after four minutes, to which he counted De Bruyne after 30 seconds. (laughs) So it's, um, I think we've got to believe until... You know, there's no point in going into Sunday not believing. Um, City, of course, massive favourites to beat Aston Villa. There's no denying that. But ultimately, as I alluded to earlier, we've got ourselves to a stage where it can happen, and having a chance is better than having no chance at all. Um, you know, going going into what could be a dramatic final day. Um, in terms of Villa themselves, I was literally just thinking as you guys were talking, then there's no way Gerard's going to be able to avoid in this pre match press conference. He's going to be absolutely bombarded with questions about it. So it's how he composes himself to deal with that. Um, and if you're Aston Villa again, you know the scenario that you're going into. You're going into a very tough scenario against one of the best teams in the league, one of the best teams in the world. And it's how you combat that. Um, if Gerard wouldn't mind putting him and Gary Mack as additional <laughs> midfielders, that would that might help things. But um call up a few Villa All Boys as well. But no, it you know. It's um they've just the Villa have got to approach the game. Is it like any other game? I'm not entirely sure, just with the narrative of it all, but they've got to go there and focus on Aston Villa. Because if Aston Villa go there. And Gerard has got any sort of focus on Liverpool again, as Chloe mentioned, it could kind of become a bit too emotional. So, you know, go there, be dogged and just fight. I want I want to see fight from Aston Villa, at least on their part, because the amount of teams I've seen just open up far too easily. Um recently, the likes of Wolves, Newcastle. So Villa go there and fight and then we'll see what happens.
0: Yeah, I've got an inkling that um Villa will actually score first in the game, and then it'll be sort of like
1: I would say the heart breaks it,
0: yeah, it'll be like 3 Blood 1 by all the over 20, again. 25th minute, um, or, or something like that. And it'll just be one of them, you know. Maybe people might argue that you'd almost rather City just batter them from the outset than be in a situation where it's finally poised for sort of 70 minutes or something like that because the emotions and the pain would be potentially <laughs> off the scale. But Chloe, what, what did you want to? Kind of add on
2: that. I was just going to say, if they play anything like they did against us, I think they can come out with a win. I really, at least a draw. I thought they were excellent against us. Um, That long ball over the top, I think Fernandinho and uh, Laporte or whoever it is is going to be in mud. I really do. I think that can that can cause them a lot of trouble. They're without Kyle Walker. I'm right in saying, aren't I? At least I think they are. So you know, Zinchenko is a decent footballer he's not exceptional um I, I think this is a team now which you can exploit um in and i i'm 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 extremely hopeful like got I, I literally went to sleep last night and could hardly sleep with excitement for the game that's literally about four days away but that is what football does to you that's what hope does to you hope will one day kill me I swear um and if it's not hope it'll be the stress of a football game it'll be one of the two but um I I genuinely think that Aston Villa could give them the get a really tough game but I am like worried at the fact that i know that city can score th- like like liverpool city can score three within you know 15 20 minutes it could be out of sight and also the deadly they've got kevin de bruyne who can do absolutely everything um but i think if Stephen gerrard approaches it as a much important game than you obviously would already but if you have this you need his players to be calm he can't his players can't go over the top in this moment because if they do, that's when they'll, you know, leave spaces in and around them. Um, but I think if they if they play like they did against us, I really do think they could get something out the game because they caused us a lot of problems. That ball in behind Fernandinho has got no pace. Coutinho running after Fernandinho, Buendia, Um, They have got some really decent players. I just worry for them defensively because I think Tyrone Mings is absolutely. A donkey. I think he's one of the worst defenders in the Premier League, and yet he gets in the England squad. So, what do I know?
0: You are right about that, seriously. Like, it's come out today that that has out. has not had as good a season as he did last year, but you know, I think losing him, he's he's the stronger centre back of the two. It's hard to see Tyler Mings not making a mistake over the course of this game. That's just really the kind of, of player that he is, unfortunately. And I think. The issue with Villa is like they've not really shown that they can get results against the top sides. Like, I think they've lost every game. They lost twice to us, lost twice to um, Chelsea, lost twice to Tottenham, I think, and Arsenal. And they, I think, they got four points um, against United, but you know, United aren't really in the top bracket of teams this season. um, is, Is the reality with that one?
1: Yeah, I literally just thought. Um, as you guys were talking, when Villa played City at Villa Park in December they should have got a point they were 2-0 down but then um, then um they got back in the game and Chiquemeca missed a fantastic chance later on in the game and they, they battered City in the second half and it is a different scenario but you just wonder because I, I was thinking of this to myself when, when City drew against West Ham it's almost that i i rather i rather that happened in terms of you know it sounds strange to say I'd rather city got a point than lose but i ra- I was glad that city got the point in the manner that they did in that they regretted not getting all three if that makes any sense whatsoever because now obviously it can't go down it, it's it's not goal difference unless the absolute gutting happens and villa win and we draw um but obviously, you know, the main focus now will be on points rather than goal difference. And the fact is that if Mares had scored, how much would we be, you know, how, much, how hyped up would, would we be for that? But he didn't. Brilliant save by Fabianski. And now we're, we're in a situation where we want Villa to... For me, I repeat what I said earlier, just as long as Villa compete, I've, I've seen so many teams recently just set up in the wrong way against City. And before you know it, the game's gone before you've even batted your eyelid. It's, it, it, it's, it is. You know, I think the the Newcastle the Newcastle game in particular just you know, that happened. You know, Dan it i out jumped by Sterling at the back post, which told its own story. Uh, the port made it 2-0, and again that was game over. And for when they played Wolves, I was just flicking in between games because when it got to one one, I thought, ooh, okay, but then it's three one again in, in the blink of an eye. Um, just. Compete and then see what happens because also if teams take a game to City like West Ham did that ball over the top to Bowen and Antonio it worked an absolute treat so I think that's a clear line to Gerard and Villa saying if you if you get the pace and over the top particularly on Fernandinho. There, there, there could well be problems. And then we'll wait and see if, about Laporte's fitness, wait and see um, if Ake plays as well, because Ake and Fernandinho are uh, not sure. I think if you talk about what City fans' preferred centre- centre-back partnership would be, they'd be pretty far down the list. So we'll wait and see, but ultimately they have to try and put City on the back foot because I think that's... if they're Certainly later on in the game, because I think the longer it goes on, City will get more control and then Villa just become under more and more pressure.
0: Well, a few things to pick up on there. I'll start with the Maradona's penalty. Chloe spoke about moments before that could shape the season in terms of going against Liverpool. Roger. Maybe that's one Roger. that you look back on. Um, you know, if it, if it was to go our way, and I think you are right there, Chris. You know, I was talking about the results that they got. Sometimes uh, I think maybe we focus too much on results, and I think I was probably a little bit harsh there in insofar as they have actually played well against um against us twice really. You know, we've had to work very hard in both games to get three points and like you say, um unfortunate to a degree against City as well. So the real thing here is like and, and you both mentioned it, it's highly unlikely really that, that they get anything. But what is the point in in not believing um that that they can? You know, there's no sort of disadvantage you get from you know, you can set yourself up with disappointments all you want, but then you're kind of depriving yourself of the kind of experience of, of supporting your team in a way, because you just already resigned to a negative outcome in terms of the setup, up. You know, we'll move on to, to Liverpool's game in a second, because we have to play as well. Um, in terms of set up, I was looking today at the, the two games against mid table sides at home where city have dropped points already, um, Southampton the nil, nil and Palace the two nil. And there was a few things that kind of jumped out to me. And I'd hope that Gerard looks at those games as well as obviously like West Ham. Um, in terms of creating his game plan. So they were obviously compact at a possession. You know, we see City kind of wreak havoc in those kind of half spaces. Um, you know, those ball those balls to the byline are at the center of their kind of attacks and they're very difficult to defend. So you've got to kind of defend those as well as defending the gaps in between the lines where um, you're going to have maybe De Bruyne wreaking havoc. Um, but you've also got to be, it's not just a case of sitting back in this really deep defensive block where there is no kind of space in like the 18-yard box. You've got to kind of press from the front as well and be brave in that sense. That's what both managers did. and They went after them. And the reason they did that was because, you know, people would look at that and say, well, hang on, if you play, an aggressive risk-taking kind of approach off the ball against City, aren't you going to be picked off? Well, in some ways, it's more risky to not do that because, and I think one of the managers said this, it might be Vieira, if you give the players time on the ball, even the players who who are towards, you know, the back of the team, really, they're going to be able to pick out a pass that can can sort of lead to an opening. Like players like Cancelo and Laporte, really good in possession, Rodri as well, who would obviously be kind of at the base of that midfield. And I guess the other thing to mention, and the last thing really, is you just need luck. You need luck, you know, in um, in that Palace game, they had the questionable sending off at Man City for Porte, um, went on to lose it. And you need City to not be um, at, at their top form. So if you get kind of your approach right, as well as those things that go for you, in terms of how they turn up and and those kind of 50-50 decisions, and I think City had due some bad luck on that front personally then, you know, who knows what could happen. But I think the thing we might be almost neglecting here is Liverpool probably have the harder game of the two sides, um, even though Wolves, um, like Villa, kind of have nothing to play for. And it reminds me in a way of when we looked at Man City's fixtures in a lot of depth a few months back, and it was like, where could they drop points? And then there was obviously this game against Tottenham that was on the horizon, and that proved to be the one um, that Liverpool slipped up in as well. So Liverpool very much have to fulfil their end of the bargain. Um, so I'll come to you on this one first, Chloe. How difficult are you expecting this to be? Obviously, it's the second time we face Wolves in this scenario. Um, but there, they can't finish in the Euro- European place anymore. They're kind of just fighting to hold on uh, to eighth place, which is obviously you know a, a commendable finish. Um, how difficult a game do you think it's going to be? Stronger team... Uh, than Aston Villa but they did get battered by City and does that game give you more confidence Um, that Liverpool will definitely be able to to fulfil their end of the deal?
2: I think it could go either way. I think that result could make them more reserved and actually realise where they went wrong in that game. And Even though we play differently to Manchester City, uh, the spaces we create are still created in similar ways by keeping hold of possession they hold a lot more possession we obviously have the uh, very fast front three um, and can move up the pitch a lot quicker but um, we've seen teams come to Anfield and just sit in a block and say try and break us down and it has been extremely frustrating Uh, Spurs was one of them so I, I think it could go either way I think for Liverpool, you've got to look at it as a perspective of, OK, is the areas in which we can you know, get at this team and we can break them down. Whereas for Wolves, they'll probably sit there and be like, OK, last day of the season. I mean, you've already heard what that absolute... Idiots, uh, ra- uh hasn't who i want to say is is how you pronounce it this is our champions league well you lost your champions league and now the Redmen are going to actually play in the actual champions league next week mate but nice one um and i just think everyone everyone wants to make sure that they have some kinds of effect in this title race. Right? um and, and Wolves will think the same, Wolves will get themselves up for it. It's last day of the season, they could affect the title race. Um, it's obviously at Anfield against Liverpool. It, it, at times you can face that and be a bit intimidated, um, but they've got absolutely nothing to lose, which could work in their favour as, favor as well. You know, you might as well go for it and see what happens. But um, do it in a much more reserved way than than what you did against City, if that's how you're going to play, because Liverpool can cut you open like a knife. Um, so it, it's one of them. I, I'm expecting a really tough game, to be honest. And I mean, we've been in this moment before. We've won the game comfortably. We've all had a nice time. And we've still lost the league by a point. Um, and, you know, to, to have the same fate against the same team, um, it is a bit kind of like, oh, not this again. But on the other side, it is, we were 14 points behind at one stage. We've taken it to the last game of the season somehow. I mean, we've drew one game in the running against Spurs. That should be allowed in May. It just should. But sadly, um, we're not in any other generation. We're in the generation in which we've got to come up against an oil-rich money club who can just throw millions at it and their entire fullbacks cost £200 million and that's what you're up against. Um, and I think... If anything you take away from this, just go and enjoy it. Um, it's gonna be a hard game, but you know it's Liverpool at Anfield with the crowd. You've got a Champions League final next week. Anything can happen, and I, I seriously believe Aston Villa can get something out the game. And something is all we need as long as we do our end of the bargain. Um, so there's absolutely no point going in and just being, you know, defeated already. Go in, have a boss time. You know, have a drink enjoy the football hopefully we'll win. we're lifting the cup afterwards if not bounce on to the champions league final because that's also coming up um and also just just be glad you're in a position to follow a football team that give you moments like these because um you know there, there was times where we, i mean a lot of people put us forth this season and a lot of pundits put us forth and yet here we are taking it to the last game of the season so um it's going to be a hard game, but we might as well go for it. And I think Liverpool, obviously, with the quality they've got, with that atmosphere behind them, which should be bouncing, they should have enough.
0: Do you know, when you said there uh, about the possibility of uh, of lifting a cup afterwards, I could literally feel like the b- butterflies fluttering in my stomach for a second there. So, that kind of... That was great, w- What <laughs> say. Yeah, well, Chloe does that every week, Chris. Um, It's, it's, a, it's a staple. <laughs> sort of The podcast <laughs> is, is Chloe's rousing speeches. But you, I guess the flip side with Wolves is... Like, you know, I've talked about how they got battered by Man City, but this is also a team who Liverpool needed a, I think, 94th-minute winner to be in the reverse fixture from Origi. And they, yeah, and they got the, the draw against uh, against Chelsea not too long ago as well, um, coming back from two goals down there. And the interesting thing with it is Wolves are going to be spending this whole week... I think they'll be looking at the media coverage and saying... All this is about can Gerrard get something against Villa, if Gerrard gets something against Villa Liverpool win the league and they're going to think implicitly that's actually really disrespectful to us because it assumes that Liverpool are automatically going to win so I think that's an element and there's also something that Henderson said yesterday, I want to ask you about Chris he admitted that it was going to be quite difficult for Liverpool to be 100% focused You know, we saw the last time we were in this scenario that the crowd reacted. I think there was a fake reaction initially and then there was a real one to what was going on in the Man City game. And they're going to know in the back of their minds that that's going on at the same time and that determines their fate if they win the game. So you know, we we know how strong this Liverpool team are meant to. We've spoke about that even on this podcast, but that's the kind of dual challenge. I think Wolves are going to have the motivation of their own and it is going to be difficult for Liverpool to be 100% focused on, on their own job.
1: Yeah. I mean, I know I can't tell 50,000 people what to do, but I, I just, I don't want Chinese whispers going around, um, you know, and I don't know how these people find out I Anyway, mean, my 4G in the ground's awful, um, but I just hope that the, the focus is purely on getting the job done. I was wondering as well, because Connor Cody went off at half time against Norwich so I wonder to see if uh, if he's available. Um, well, we'll find it, obviously, uh, from Bruno Lars later this week. But if he's not available, that is a big blow for them in terms of their defence because he's just such a crucial part as well with, with Kilman out, I think, as well. Um, they have got injuries in defence. And again, me just right, remembering these fixtures going back, it was only a very, very disputable penalty. By uh, given against Wolves in terms of how City beat Wolves at the Etihad as well, so you can just remember Wolves—they'll be compact. Again, they will fight in the way that we want Aston Villa to fight, um, and it is ultimately about breaking them down because you know you remember Mane's Mane's brace um, a couple of a uh, couple of years ago. But then Wolves did create chances in that game as well. I think they really drew off the nervousness in the crowd as well um so yeah it, it will of course be tough um because I don't think Wolves are Wolves aren't set up to be expansive and free flowing they're set up to be compact and using their their technical ability more than anything but yeah it, it it ultimately i don't think Klopp even needs to do a team talk because the players know anything less than a win is not good enough so i think on that regard you know they know regardless of how how much Wolves will dig in, the lads know that they need to get the win.
0: It's a strange scenario, really, to be in, to know that you have to win, but also that you're is relying on your something that's, that's going on el- elsewhere.
1: As in, like, you, like just, th- you know what you have to do?
0: I'd like to think so. I'd, I'd like to think that the players are literally just going to be like, look, let's not even think about Man City. Let's just think, all we can do in this game is do our job. It's the last game of the season. do our job and hope that something happens for us um you know it is a unique dynamic and it could end up being like a positive thing and it's interesting that you mentioned the uh the city moments again we've talked a lot about moments in this podcast that is another one Um, still picture it oh yeah that's that's another one that that could be decisive you know we're looking at a tiny margin here uh we're going to come on to, to teams in a second but was there something you wanted to add chloe
2: I was just going to say, it's probably best that everyone kicks off at the same time, because I can't tell you how many times I've turned on a TV to watch Manchester City with so much shape, and within five minutes, already hated my life. At least this time, <laughs> I can watch the Reds, I'm enjoying it, I'm in my stadium, um, you know, I'm not on my phone, um, you know, looking at scores, I, I, obviously, if someone says someone scored, I'll be instantly on my phone, but like, my main importance is Liverpool, and it's good that we're all kicking off at the same time. It's good that we're not away, and that I'm watching it on TV because I'd I'd not be flicking, but I'd have chance to sit there and be on my phone if you get what I mean. We're in the ground. I can't do that. I'm fully focused on watching the Reds, and um, hopefully that you know the the game I haven't watched this season. I didn't watch uh, Tottenham because I was coming home from the Liverpool game. The drop points. I didn't watch West Ham the other day. Um. Someone told me not to watch it because I watched Wolves. Uh, so, hopefully, without watching it, something may go in our favour.
0: I guess the the follow up question there is, Chris, if you're if you're going to be at home because obviously Chloe will be in the stadium, are you planning to have um the City game up on a different screen, or are you just going to wait for the uh the sort of natural updates to come through? Because I don't know what I'm going to do with that.
1: Uh, well i'll i'll be I'll be in work for it um unfortunately, so i've I've managed to get to get, I managed to get to a lot of games this season, but I'll be in work on um on sunday. um so inevitably with with the with the nature of the job, uh, I think flash scores will be open. um but I think we've only got two screens in the studio, so I, I think we're only be able to watch one game on them anyway. so um so yeah, we'll have, we'll have the Liverpool game on in the studio and then. Uh, just sit there nervously and uh, think to myself that no notifications are good notifications.
0: Yeah, exactly. That is true. Um, no news is good news, certainly. Um, but let's uh, come on to uh, the Liverpool lineup. Obviously, we saw the the nine changes um, the other day. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see how kind of strong we are now, because we we saw obviously that uh, Van Dijk and Salah um, did pick up uh, minor injuries in the FA Cup final. So, Chloe, let's uh, get your team uh, first of all, please. How do you want to see Klopp line up for this last game?
2: Um, I'm going to assume that Ali and, and Salah are fine uh, because he said they're in the running contention for Wolves. Um, if they have got niggles, which could keep them out of the I wouldn't miss them. But in my mind, in a perfect world, the fit. So that is what I'm going with for this. Um, Ali, Trent, it, it's um, a toss-up between Matip. I think because Canate played 120 and played, obviously, last night, all 90, I'll go with Matip for this. Um, and also, I think Canate's played a lot of our Champions League games, so he might be first on the team sheet for the final. Uh, so I'll go Matip, Virgil, Robbo, um Obviously, no Fabinho, so I'll go cater Thiago, Henderson. And my front three is obviously Diaz, Mane and Salah, if fit and available.
0: I would pretty much uh, be going with the same. The only things I'd be thinking of is, do you maybe make a tweak to front three? But it's it's a dilemma because... You need players to be sharp as well because there could be some players you're looking at who say you didn't play Sadio Mane, for example, then he hasn't played for two weeks when he sets us on the pitch, uh, in Paris. So that's something you've you've absolutely got to think about s- as well.
2: So we've got five subs in the Champions League final, don't we? So yeah. my other thing is is that um I mean not that I'd want to rotate it, but I mean, you can they've gone again so many times surely we can ask them to go again two more times knowing that the two potential finals in the sense of you could lift two trophies in the space of a week here and two of the biggest trophies in football so um, I'm telling them to go again
0: And what about you Chris where do you stand on the main kind of selection questions which I suppose centre back and uh, and the forward line is what it's been uh, the past few weeks really
1: Yeah I mean similar to what Chloe said at the start, I wouldn't want to aggravate. You know, I, I, what also what, aggravate? I've got. <laughs> I yeah. think I've got that right. Aggravate. <laughs> um, but I wouldn't want to, you know, basically make their injuries any worse. Um, but you know, Verge is superhuman. One, so you'll want to play. Uh, I, I think, and I did originally have Matip and Canarte at centre back. So like the others, are Allison, Trent, and Robbo. Um, Matip and Canate, Just because th- there's the trust there now that if Van Dijk doesn't play, it's not the end of the world. You know, you've got Matip and Kanate who are two top, top quality centre backs, who can easily do a job. Um, because I think Canate, I just think with Vinicius Junior in the final, I think that makes Kanate more likely to start in Paris, just for the pace element um, down that, down the, um, down our right hand side as well. Um, but yeah, no, I I can absolutely see if, if Van Dyke is fit and available. Of course, of course, I'll start Virgil Van Dyke, and I'd put Joe Matip alongside him. Um, again, I'll just go to the front three because I've I've got here Mar- uh, Marnie Diaz Jota just with the idea of Salah. He said he'd be fit for the Champions League final. Will he be fit for this weekend? So again, that that's purely based off me thinking that I wouldn't want to make Salah's injury any worse than it is. Um, and again, I think. As much as he might want to play in this, if he doesn't play Mane Diaz Jota, I think I think that's more than good enough to to get the job done. The main difference, I think, I've gone in midfield. Henderson, of course, in the six. Tiago, and I've got Curtis Jones starting because, again, I thought yes on you know yes, it's been a struggle for him at times, but again, he you know he's someone that is still very young, and people almost forget that how young Curtis Jones is. And he's someone that, you know, if you get a consistent run of games, which is very difficult because in a squad like Liverpool's now, you have to be top, 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 top quality to get consistent games. But I think he did enough at Southampton to justify another start on Sunday. And then we'll see with Cater with regards to the Champions League final. But I, I would have no problem with Jones starting on Sunday.
0: Well, I think there's another element there that you kind of hit on in terms of, say, if Cater wasn't to play. He's he's obviously still being contention to start the Champions League final, if he does, and you know if Thiago does, for example, I'm looking at it and thinking, yes, we've got to win this game, but do I want those players to play the full ninety minutes given their yeah. injury history? Probably not. Um, so I think that's certainly a factor as well when it comes to sort of ma- managing the team for for Klopp at the weekend. Um, and stop me if you disagree here, but I think from the gist I got of what you were saying if either Van Dijk or Salah was even at 95%, then it wouldn't be worth uh, playing them in this game. Um, only if they're 100% ready to go and there's no risk of, of aggravating it. Um,
1: then Certainly with Salah. we,
0: we see them, yeah. Because um, he's going to be uh, in sort of a revenge frenzy, I think, uh, in Paris. But that is is going to do us uh, for this episode. Uh, thanks again uh, to Chris for coming on. I'm going to put his... Uh, the link to his Twitter in the episode description, so uh, please give him a follow on there. Um, we'll be back uh next week, and obviously, <laughs> there's a lot riding on this weekend, so we'll see uh what goes on there. And then there's the uh, another game as well happening in France, I'm, I'm not quite sure what. Um, which will obviously be uh, giving you quite a lot of uh of build up, too. So, obviously, we've seen um, and heard about this being similar to the eighteen nineteen season. Uh potential to lose the title by such a, a fine margin again. A little bit different. Um insofar as we we're the ones this time we've come back rather than surrender in advantage. But incredibly it's also against Wolves and there's also a Champions League final on the horizon. But hopefully uh this time there isn't a false dawn um from from a Glenn Murray in the Aston Villa team and hopefully this time we get the sort of dream turnaround um, to, to make amends for it. But yeah, we will see you on the other side of it. Take care.